0: Hello, and welcome to the Non Pro Show, where we bring internet arguments into a convenient audio form. I am your host, Al, and I am joined once again by Kit from Knife Hands. Welcome, Kit! Nice to have you back. It's good to be back. So soon. <laughs> so soon, it is. It's very soon. <laughs> but yes, we're here to talk to you about serial killers, and Hannibal Lecter specifically, about the charm and the allure that they seem to have in the relationships that they wind up having in like their uh, works of fiction. Um, again, focusing mostly on Hannibal Lecter and the many iterations of that character. Yes. Because, man, because there is.
1: It, Hannibal Lecter as a character is such a fantastic study in wh- how people fall for that kind of sociopath. You know? Because uh, it really is. It all comes down to the fact that that is a pure predator, that is someone who knows how to manipulate you and get you. Right where he wants you to play with you, you know, and yep. it's that that almost seduction that I think is what's so so darn charming.
0: It, it is. And there's like there's a lot of works of fiction, even in um stuff that isn't so blatant. Honestly, I feel like vampires have this a lot where they'll have, like, the very predator instinct to them. They are literally predators. They're allur- they're like Venus flytraps alluring their, their victims to themselves. It's not simply a supernatural thing. It is a very human thing um, to have, like, this kind of weird, if not, like, otherworldly type of charm that we can't quite place. But in reality, we apparently
1: yeah, can. Because it really, I think, it, comparing it to you, vampires or the way that... We- well done, vampires, are written, uh, I think is a fantastic comparison because it's the kind of chasing someone down that only a true prey could do. That manipulation, getting you into a false sense of security, thinking this is somebody that wants to, that is interested in you, that wants to engage with you, be it something, you know, more, I guess, dark, more sensual or be it just a conversation and then they use that as their way in Um, because
0: to manipulate is incredibly human I think oh it is I mean even us talking about works of fiction let's be honest with ourselves about what happens like this is us agreeing to manipulation it's us um, going to a film or reading a book or you know anything we're agreeing that we are willing to be manipulated. Like I cried at the end of She-Ra, like knowing full well, and none of those characters were real. Yeah. I was just and that's, like, i no, think that's what makes such
1: an effective piece of media is realizing that, or not realizing until it's too late that you got God. Because uh, to prepare for this, uh, I was re-watching yeah. um, specifically NBC Hannibal, and I got uh, my best friend and my girlfriend to watch it with me. And to see their reactions, because... Uh, both of them, but especially my girlfriend, started off being very, like, oh, whatever. Like, you know, Hannibal, he's a manipulator. Like, there's nothing charming about him. Like, what, what an asshole. Like, there's, I, there's no way Will's going to fall for it. And now I'm at season three with both of them. I sync them up so that they can be watching it together. And both of them were like, oh, but he's Hannibal. It's fine. Oh, but he's so charming. Oh. <laughs> and I feel like that, to have the show charm you so much is in itself a, a showcase that it really is effective at what it's doing. If you are ch- so charmed by a character that even somebody that's been watching from the outside, seeing the negative repercussions, still going, no, 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 it's okay. I'm, I want to be charmed by this. I and mean, that says a lot.
0: <laughs> it does. And it, like, it, credit to the, to the performances of, uh, that are given to this character, uh, both Anthony Hopkins and um, uh, who plays him in the NBC show. Uh, Mads, uh, Mikkelsen? I'm,
1: I'm not good I think at, you're uh. Right. Yeah, yeah, he's he was lessons. the bad guy
0: in the, uh, first Daniel Craig, uh, Bond film. He's on this new, uh, not that new, but a newish movie on Netflix called Polar. I recommend checking it out. It's a very fun action romp. It's a credit to these guys who can really portray these sort of, again, I'm human, but also not kind of performances. Exactly, And both of them do it in somewhat different ways. Like Hopkins sort of just walks in and like, feels like he swings him for lack of a term. He's swinging his manhood around uh, well enough <laughs> to attract anyone that, that's willing to walk by. It's like, well, it looks like he's got his egos big enough. I might as well just listen to him <laughs> um, on the NBC show. It's It's far more just this kind of like, he seems to know exactly what everybody needs to hear. Like, even if it's not what they want to yeah. hear, it's always like those exact words that are like, oh yeah, I want yeah. more of that. And I think I think a
1: good way to go about it, about describing it is both performances have their own subtleties that are so, Im- that work so well for each variation. I would say that Mads is able to hit a more subtle in the way that you interact with people on a day-to-day basis like he i think the reason he is so effective as hannibal is because that portrayal of hannibal is very focused on gaslighting. yeah and so he slowly gets to know you he knows the right things to say to get you into a false sense of security where you're thinking oh no he really has my best interest at hand no he really he really wants to see me do well he really cares about me as a friend And even when he's manipulating people and pushing them to see what they'll do, he still puts himself in a scenario where he will, more often than not, come out looking like he's doing something good for you. So you go, oh, man, I can't believe this awful thing happened, but I'm so glad my best friend, Hannibal Lecter, was here for me. (laughs) like there's a couple of times in the show, uh, for example, I know you haven't watched it yet, uh, but one character's wife, uh, she decides for reasons to start seeing Hannibal as her therapist. And over the course of that, he kind of coerces her without really, like in such a subtle way, just kind of puts the idea in her head to commit suicide. And she goes to do it. uh, she takes a ton of morphine. She shows up to her uh, regular appointment. And he, once she passes out, he flips a coin to decide whether or not he's going to save her. Coin decides, okay, I'm going to save her. You know, shoots her up with some adrenaline. She ends up, you know, surviving the incident. And she's furious because she realized he fucking, he, he used me. He wanted to see if I, if he could convince me to commit suicide and I did. Mm. And then he brought me back so that he could get points with my husband mm. so that my husband, you know, thinks that he's looking out for his best interest. Yeah. Let's it's top tier manipulation. Yeah, Let's
0: focus in on this a little bit. It's like, we're, cause we're here to talk about, you know, what we, what uh, in universe and out of universe makes these like characters so attractive or so alluring. Uh, why we love a serial killer for lack of a better term, but let's, Focus on this relationship that uh, Hannibal has with the the Will character in the series, and then we'll go move on okay. to Clarice after that.
1: Because it's very similar between them both.
0: But and we'll move and we'll talk yeah. about the audience a little bit after that too. But let's focus on Will for a hot minute here because there's yes. a
1: lot of material to yeah. sift through. It's it's three seasons worth, but even then you can still look back at Red Dragon and see a much more subtle version of what they went into in the TV show. Because uh, the TV show is very reminiscent of kind of the arc that Clarice takes. So it is kind of it's a little bit one and the same but there is a special charm to the way that uh Hugh Dancy and Mads are able to portray
0: Will and Hannibal. So what what really I guess we should start what attracts like Will to Hannibal? Like for instance, like this isn't a victim. This isn't a person he's trying to coerce to murder or it like the, in reality he is looking for a sense of companionship. Now, whether that means like uh, romantic? It more than likely doesn't. It just it means that they're looking for something. So that's the interesting thing that also was with Silence of the Lambs with this character is that we're talking about like what, like that they're looking for someone else. They're not looking for like a again they're not looking for a victim per se. They're looking for that companion, looking for another person to be around. So like what what attracts. Uh, What attracts Will to a person like that?
1: See, now, the interesting thing is, and I love pointing this out whenever I get somebody to watch the first episode, one of the very first things Will says, and you get such a fantastic reaction uh, in the way that, you know, Mads does his portrayal, Will goes, I don't find you that interesting. And Hannibal immediately has this reaction, like this look on his face that says, oh, now that's a challenge. (laughs) Because he found Will very interesting. And he wanted to see, because Will, within the context of the NBC show, it's almost upgraded to like a superpower, the way that his mind works. Uh, He essentially has this hyper empathy where he's able to more or less piece together what a murderer is thinking in the moment, why he chooses victims, why he went about uh, the situation the way he went about it. And to someone, to Hannibal, that's such a fascinating thing that this guy can get into the mind of a serial killer. So to him, it's, well, if he can get into the mind of a killer, let me start doing these copycat murders around this to see what he thinks on that. Let me try to become his friend so that I can hear more about that. What happens if I can get this guy to think the way that I think? Can I get him to murder alongside me? Can I get him to murder with me? can I get him to be my friend? And that's kind of where Hannibal seems to be coming from with the way that he's pushing and prodding will because uh, I think uh while I understand why people wish it were romance and I do think there is a serious connection like to that like with that kind of intensity between Hannibal and will over the course of the three seasons, I don't think it's fair to call it romance because it's not Romantic in the sense that like you understand romance or I understand romance uh, as to like, you know, people that feel
0: romantic attraction. Yeah. We're also talking about probably two people that just feel those type of emotions in very different ways.
1: And over the course of the show, you see we'll go from, well, whatever. I'm talking to you because Jack Crawford wants me to talk to you to, well, I feel like my world is falling apart and you're the only person that understands where I'm coming from. Uh, to Hannibal frames him when Hannibal doesn't seem to be getting what he wants out of Will, he frames him for murder to once again, try to get Will into a place where the only person he can lean on is him. And it's this back and forth of Will attempting to reject Hannibal and push him away and to try to use Hannibal in the same way that Hannibal's been using him. But it always comes back around to him realizing that There's something about Hannibal over this, like, over the slow seduction, the slow manipulation, where he can't live without Hannibal, uh, which is ultimately it ends to him chasing Hannibal into Europe and then, you know, managing to on on two separate occasions, trying to get Hannibal to just run. Like, I don't want you to get caught by the police. I don't want you to be locked up. I don't want to take your freedom, but I can't be with you. This isn't healthy. I want you to go. And Hannibal choosing to be like, no, no, I'm not going to go. I'm going to make sure that I'm somewhere where you can come find me. And inevitably, Will does always go back to him. So I think it starts out from Will not wanting or needing anything and Hannibal managing to get so in his head using that manipulation, using that gaslighting, so Will doesn't think there's anything he could have but Hannibal.
0: But is it just the, um, is it just gaslighting that winds up making it work? Because there are people that we see in real life where that does have an effect, and, like, we we live in a world where that's a constant, like, from, like, you know, those close to us to, like, the media in general and um, even some dumb internet podcasts and so on and so forth. (laughs) Where that's, that's pervasive. It's something that a that it it teaches you to come back or to keep uh, keep going is it only this one technique or does it feel like there's something more to them or is it just the uh, the well-writtenness of it so that it doesn't feel like that to the audience or to to the to the characters it's taking place with
1: so I think at, at the end of the day it is primarily persuasion and gaslighting that is the main tool that Hannibal uses Uh, But he also, he manipulates not just Will, but manipulates people around him and manipulates those people so well that it's kind of like he's playing a massive game of chess. So it's not like he's just doing something to one person. He's like, he ends up sleeping with the woman that Will is very much interested in to get her to turn against Will so that Will, uh, and also to kind of like cover his own ass so that Will will get closer in turn with him because he knows, well, I can't trust her anymore because Hannibal's in her head too. So let me just keep getting closer to Hannibal. He also used the death of a young girl that Will felt a a kind of like fatherly relation to in order to be able to use her as a bargaining chip with Will. It's not just gaslighting, like it's also manipulation of taking things away. He doesn't directly do any of these things, but he puts actions in motion to take these things away.
0: It's the it's it really is just like yeah. an abuser. It's like we're, we're taking away your your options the things that you can do. We're not going to see your friends anymore. Um, you know, your decisions are based on what I'm telling you to do, and yeah. so on and so forth. It's it's a lot. It's it's and that's what kind of makes it scary, and to an extent, why we might find it like why we yeah. can't look away, for lack better term, because a it's something we can sort of relate to. It's not like a ghost in the house where. All of a sudden, it's like industrial lights and magic shows up, and you're like, oh my God, it's something that yeah. could happen to you. Uh, maybe not to this extent, maybe not like, you know, someone taking your child away or something like that, but we've been convinced to do things or be in places or in relationships that we knew were terrible for us, but we just couldn't find ourselves willing to leave or like we felt like we needed that other person to exist. Exactly. Uh,
1: and I think part of the reason that it's so effective why it had such a crazed audience can also come down to the fact that as a viewer uh as just a person not all people of course but there are there is a good chunk of people out there that like that kind of seduction in a physical in, in a fictional way so kind of like the same audience that really loves things like 50 shades of gray where you don't actually want cuz at the end of the day that's not a healthy bdsm relationship but it's very But it's very (laughs) hyper real and it's like the concepts. And so that slow seduction by this big buff millionaire that normally wouldn't pay attention to a girl like that, who is pulling out all the stops and like, yeah, he is kind of abusive, but it's under this guise of like, oh, well, you want it. And I think that's the same reason that, especially in the NBC show, it's people were so crazy and like they wanted, they wanted to be Will Graham. They wanted their Hannibal because Mads himself, he's very handsome, very charming, uh, and that just, like, slow seduction and seeing how, over time, Will slowly succumbs to it. I-, I can see why it became such a hit, because some people, again, like that as a fictional concept. In real life, you wouldn't want it, but <laughs> it's kind of glamorized when it's on TV.
0: Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll take a break for a, for a second here uh, to talk about, like, there are real-life... Uh, serial killers out there, and we're we're focusing on like a fictional one, and for the for the reason that like it can be written differently, it doesn't hold the same weight yeah. as say Zach Efron's <laughs> Ted Bundy. I <laughs> oh, think he did um, great. <laughs> where, <laughs> you, where, clearly that was there. Was, there were problematic things about that, and like when you start writing for an actual genuine serial killer, and also that there is something that's different about real life serial killers. They aren't all for lack of term, these, you know, dead sexy, like, kidnap you with a glance kind of characters, sometimes they were just white men who had a lot of privilege, and no one really said go to, you know, handsome white guys at the time. So that can really be what real life serial killers were like, and they don't have to all be this. And again, we're, we want to make sure that people understand that like that, that is not something to glorify or to think is yeah. cool or sensationalize on. Cause I think a,
1: a really good case to see in real life, what this really can amount to would be Charles Manson because that's, that's how he worked his magic, how he ended up building his little cult was because he was so charming and so good at talking to people and getting the right kind of people that are just broken enough that giving them that positive attention they would do anything you say
0: yeah and like yeah there are real life examples of it of like people who are genuinely so and there's mm-hmm. so many Manson family documentaries and stuff that that's talked about at length about what happened there at the you know at the camps and uh, tents and so on and so forth and how it was very much that Um, Not only would it be just he would have the other people do the bad things, but if anyone came along that was even slightly a different influence, he would make sure he took care of them um, or got rid of them in any way that he felt was appropriate. And like that's – again, it's not so much that Manson was just this like dead sexy (laughs) like I – oh, man, Adonis of men, dude. He just took people who were not in a good place and made sure they stayed there. Um, it's, but it's cool to fantasize and to like not – pardon my meaning of the word fantasize. I don't mean it in like to indulge yourself or your interests. What I mean is it's cool to create characters with that type of allure or that type of like superpower for lack of a better term um, that we think of when we think of a serial killer or we think of these sort of like, you know, oh, unbound predators that like no mortal compunctions, flip a coin to see if you live. <laughs> <laughs> um... <laughs> But there is because we want to try and write and come up with interesting ideas and tell these interesting stories. We want to make it clear that we, especially here at Nonpro, are not trying to say that these guys themselves who were in the history books with real names and real victims attached to them are somehow like, you know, cool dudes. They're not. You know, yeah.
1: History is monsters and so on and so forth. Cause there's, a, there's a massive difference between appreciating how well written because of that human component a fictional character is and why they're so effective versus glorifying a real person that did these horrible things. You can hate the real person, exactly, but enjoy the fictional character because you're a well-done character.
0: Yeah, because again, it's when you start talking about fiction and stuff like that, there is enough of a buffer. And I think that there are works of uh, kind of historical fiction that do work, yes. like Mindhunter. Uh, I was watching a little bit before this. <laughs> uh, to try and get myself into this. But like I find it's a very fascinating show because it's a talking about like, well, how did we come up with the idea of a serial killer? And it's of course sensas- sensationalized yeah. historical fiction, but it, it definitely doesn't fall victim to a lot, of, uh, the, of a lot of the stuff people will do for serial killers and like does paint these people as they are, but also where people snap mentally in these concepts, ideas, and what it's like to study and spend so much time looking into the killer's mind and so on and so forth, which is something the Will character, to get transitioned back to Hannibal, um, is what apparently his, like, superpower is, as it's been described, is to just sort of really get into what these people's heads and what they're thinking is like.
1: And one of the fantastic things about that is it is a good example of how that can affect you, because the reason why Hannibal's initial manipulation is so effective with Will is because... Uh, Will is himself, he's not entirely there. He's a little unstable uh, and going and doing such intensive work. And even though it's doing really fantastic things and is helping to save a lot of lives, it does wear down on you. And when you're not actually getting the help you need or having the proper checks and balances, when the person that you're going to, to help you be stable is the one keeping you unstable, uh, it becomes impossible for you to do that job, and so and to compare it back to the original set of movies with Anthony Hopkins, the reason why that Hannibal is so effective with Clarice is because she ends up being so disillusioned by her position in the FBI because she is she's an officer who is an officer for all the right reasons, and she is surrounded by primarily men who are misogynistic and who have their own sleazy things going on. And they don't want to be talked down to by a woman who she's not talking down to them. She's just a woman who is, you know, a level above them, who is trying to make sure everything works properly, but that's to them. It's a woman talking down to them. So they can't listen to her and can't. yeah. And so uh, she ends up being so disillusioned because Essentially, everyone around her is trying to tear her down and blame her, and that she ends up looking heavily into trying to catch Hannibal again. And it he gets so far in her head that uh, in the end, she helps him. She helps him get away. If I recall correctly, in the original book, she's supposed to run away with him. But yeah, that that was a little controversial so he got to just run away on his own Um, (laughs) she was so kind of distraught with herself for it because she couldn't believe that in the midst of everything going on the only stability she had or she thought she had was Hannibal who of course fed into the fact that oh well you don't belong here they don't want you here but I want you but I give you a purpose but with me you mean something yeah it's 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 two very different approaches to the same kind of end goal. And I think both are really, really fantastic for anybody uh, interested yep. in seeing a very human approach to a, such an awful thing.
0: They're all works. That like Because again, the Silence of the Lambs was, uh, you know, one of the films since Exorcist that uh, like brought horror yeah. films or like th- that type of film anyway to the Oscars again, um, because yeah. Hopkins' performance was just so amazing. Um, it still is. Yeah. It's still such a great movie. Um, and Hopkins is just great in anything he's in. It is a very different relationship. And we touched a little bit on what those differences are, how it's uh, Hannibal is attempting to uh, get Will over to his side. Again, the same end goal. He still just wants these people around. He still wants them to depend on him. He wants them to be his friends, for lack of a better term. Um, and as many people pointed out, that's sometimes more scary – than a person who wants to murder you or have revenge on you or do something terrible is like when someone who's crazy will like do anything not, not because they not that they would hurt you but they will do anything to your life and the things around you to make sure that you're you're there and you're around them um that's terrifying because like it puts not not you necessarily in danger but like everyone you know that you're with in a very bad place but he does go about it very differently because these are, to a, very different, to a very certain extent, uh, different relationships. Will is unknowing what he is or who he is yeah. uh, while Clarice just walks up like from scene one in the film uh, – well, scene one with Anthony Hopkins anyway uh, – in the film knowing full well, like, OK, this guy's like a monster. He's, he's, he's terrible. He's an awful human being. Um so, it's to start from a very different position of like bartering uh, for information and like going back and forth and like trying to uh, well, i'll uh, I will reveal to you things that I know or that I think can solve your case, but you have to give me more of yourself or things about yourself so that i I feel and you have no choice in becoming closer. Exactly. Uh, Because again, in
1: NBC Hannibal, you start off with, he is a good colleague of another person who right off the bat, you trust her. So you figure, okay, I should trust him. Uh, And she's very pointed. I would only give you somebody that would have Will's best interest at hand. I've never thought anything weird about this. So you're introduced to Hannibal, even though we as the viewers know, he's, you know, this murderer. You know, he's this manipulator. He's good at what he does you're presented to him with everybody around him thinking oh no this is a good guy whereas like you said with anthony hopkins we're introduced to the character already hearing he's a monster don't get near him don't feed into it don't if he tries to bargain with you don't do it if he tries to hand you anything don't do it but you're still and even though he's so unnerving and creepy you do still kind of you can understand why clarice ended up going the path she did because he is so good at that
0: coercion which is the scary part yeah and what's interesting about it as well is like in his mind's eye he doesn't really see much of a difference between the two of them and as we're talking about clarice's story in the films about how her just not being taken seriously because she's a woman and in a position of authority. Hannibal just doesn't give a crap. Like, that's just not something that's on his radar as far as, that. like, you know, oddly enough, the the psychopath doesn't really acknowledge sexism. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs)
1: because it doesn't matter to him if you're you're a man or a woman. Uh, And same does go for the NBC show. It just matters if you're interesting.
0: Yeah. If you catch his attention, that's what he's interested in. So he talks to her very much like she's on his level or, well, on the level as anybody else in his life, if not more so because he's taken interest in her. At least attempts to talk to her or make her believe that they are uh, on equal footing, especially because they're talking about the exchanges of information back and forth. Uh, Makes them both – makes her feel even if she understands that it's not this way, that they're having an even exchange. She's aware that they're not. But, like, it still feels like it's a tit-for-tat situation, even if it's not.
1: Yeah. Like, he does, he manages to, even though she's trying to tell herself, I'm not giving in, I'm not giving in, she still ends up getting to a point where she is letting herself be very comfortable, where she is thinking that he's acknowledging her as an equal, when he doesn't really acknowledge anyone as an equal.
0: Uh, Bringing it back, what makes it so scary is just that there's almost a force of nature behind these types of characters. Um the way you see them in like so many other different works of fiction. Like there's a, like a hundred Netflix uh, series about this. Like you look at uh, something like You, uh, which is very similar to the sort of like uh, person willing to cut and murder and to get essentially what he's looking for. And it has a very sort of psychopathic uh, attitude about themselves. Not as nearly not nearly as good a series, but I'm using it as an example. Dexter's another great one. Uh, and Dexter
1: is another good one. I haven't watched that either.
0: Dexter's a good one because, like, it's it very much has you in his seat. At, like, he's a in a weird way. Well, we'll go back to Dexter in a hot minute. Like, there's something I want to say about him. Okay. We'll, we'll move back <laughs> to that. But All what right. I'm saying here is, like, there's that's what makes them very. Fr- that is one of the things that makes them very frightening. Um, and what even if we're enjoying them, we're having fun with them, they don't lose that level of fear because of that sense of like, there's just nothing behind those eyes it's this thing that's going to keep going forward um even if you want your hero or the protagonist in the film or the or the story or whatever uh to get a one-up on these guys even if you arrest them or you put them in jail it's never gonna dig into them the same way that they dug into you or got into you because there's nothing really there um and purposefully they're written that way they are forces of nature for lack of a better term there are these things that just come in like a storm and mess with everything and you could scream and yell and like beat it but like there's never going to be that thing that you get back and that's what's so scary it's like i i can't do anything against this there's no vengeance that could ever be had yeah um it's either i ignore it or i move away from it or you know i do a million and one things to get out of its way or put it somewhere where i don't have to worry about it anymore yeah. Uh, but I
1: can't, like, beat it. Exactly. And that... Uh, did, you, did you watch Hannibal Rising by any chance? No, uh, I did not. So Hannibal Rising, it's kind of like a prequel to the books, to the movies. I think that movie on its own is a really fun kind of standalone because the development of Hannibal Lecter as a young adult getting into murdering, it starts off with this man disrespects his, his aunt, And he decides, no, I'm not going to have that rudeness. So he goes and he brutally murders this guy and he realizes that he has a taste for it. And then it just snowballs from there where it's they know that he did it, that he did that one murder, but then they can't quite prove that it was him. And his aunt ends up helping out with covering it up and making it so that, like, clearly he couldn't have done it as far as the evidence is concerned. And it's just the snowball of seeing how he went yeah. from what appeared to be this really well-tempered, well-mannered kid who just wanted to use his intelligence, move on with his life, seek revenge, but not necessarily in such a brutal way, just become this vicious murderer who is just so good at getting away with it. And it really, it's a it's a fun watch and a brilliant movie. The guy that plays uh, young Hannibal in it is incredible.
0: That's interesting because like I always feel like in certain situations when we get into these types of characters backstories or uh, origin yeah. stories for lack of a better term I think origin stories fits the term a little bit better I always feel like you're defeating it a little bit or you're showing off or playing your hand to sort of explain away what this is but well, not even explain away you're 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 giving too much of an origin you're telling a story to yeah. like oh where the demon comes from for lack of a better term um, and I feel like there's a lot of times where that doesn't work. Like, I remember Texas Chainsaw Massacre did something kind of similar. Halloween definitely did that, um, where they were, like, trying to give Michael Myers yeah. a lot more of an origin story. When, in reality, like, I, I understand that Michael Myers is a very different type of serial killer. But yeah. <laughs> but, um, there is – there does come a time when, like, when you try to overcorrect – or like the character, the villain, or the uh, the antagonist becomes so popular to give them their origin or to give them this sort of like story that explains why they are the way they are. It,
1: yeah. it
0: eliminates so much of the mystique that makes them so cool or interesting to begin with.
1: And in a way it can make it, you don't really want to empathize with them. Like I think one of the reasons that uh, both the Halloween and the Nightmare on Elm Street uh, reboots weren't so great. I mean, I do like the Rob Zombie Halloween for like a snuff horror film, but it's not like a fantastic movie. And part of that is because it tries to get you to empathize so much with Michael Myers. The part of the reason it's effective is because you realize there is no empathizing with him. One of the big problems I think with Nightmare on Elm Street is because they focus too heavily on trying to make you empathize with Freddy but, like, you don't want to. The fa- the thing that's so great about Freddy is that he's this disgusting, pedophile monster. You don't want—you like him because he's evil.
0: Yeah, there's no, like—we'll get into— Like, I I would love to have a conversation at some point about, like, why we, of all characters, like, really think Freddy is cool amongst all of the serial killers. When, really, he's one of Freddy. the worst. Yeah. Like, for whatever reason, we really let him get away with a lot of crap. Like, to the point where we gave him a TV show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Like, music I'm videos, serious, like, I TV want it. show, it's all good. Yeah, He had a toy. Like, I'm just like, I'm sitting here and I'm just kind of like, why did we, this guy was a pedophile. Like, why are we like so into him? Like, it's like, like at some point we got. I'm wearing a Freddie shirt right now. No, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we really got to sit down and think at some point, why do we let Freddie get away with this? Like, I mean, it's, I mean, to, ex- to slightly explore it now for uh, for a hot minute. Like, is it just like essentially just kind of okay boomering them them like so much? Like, is that what it is? Like, because <laughs> he's think... just charming. Is it just him showing up? Like, he has the scarred face and doesn't care. He just kind of wears the hat. This kind of like eh, I'm kind of covering up, but not really.
1: It's honestly, I think for Freddie, it yeah, honestly you can connect it back to this conversation. I think it comes down to the fact that he is so charming and even though he's vulgar and disgusting and he's an absolute murderer and, like, you do feel for the kids, there's something so charming and intriguing. Like, you want more Freddy. You just want
0: to see more
1: of him because he's such a character. He's such a personality.
0: I think what it comes down to and what makes him different from some of the other serial killers we're talking about is Freddy is very much the villain who understands he's the villain and is just kind of like, "Ah, I'm a bad guy! Um, As opposed to these other guys who are kind of apt apathetic or do believe themselves to be the hero of their own stories yeah. this is not true for Freddy, who's just sort of like is the villain owns that he's the bad guy and like that's what makes it feel safe to kind of be like ah yeah. freddie is because like oh he knows he's the, the villain he knows he's like a monster or whatever yeah. it's like oh it's like frankenstein it's yeah. fine he's whatever it's cool but why we don't have so many hannibal dolls or like you know Pull string things like that like Hannibal doesn't get his own tv show I guess by lack of a better term and Hannibal did get his own tv show <laughs> no I, I know what
1: you mean I know what you mean
0: <laughs> I'm sorry let me rephrase let me rephrase sorry the re- there's a reason why Hannibal isn't in- like a mascot yeah he's not a mascot there we go thank you he's not a mascot because like Hannibal doesn't really know that he's the bad guy uh, yeah. He's not aware that he's the villain in the story. It makes it a little bit more dangerous to sort of give him the, the t-shirts and the the primetime TV show where he gets a Super Bowl ad and talks about like, "Hey, I'm Hannibal." Yeah. Uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, I would pay for that, but it would have to be Anthony Hopkins Hannibal if, if it's gonna be that because he's he's more that.
0: It would be because Anthony like Anthony Hopkins can do that though. Oh God, yeah. like he's just he's so good at everything he's in. Like he just like again I. I hate Transformers The Last Night, but Anthony Hopkins is great in that movie. He? <laughs> yeah, he was he was the saving grace. Yeah, if he shows up with a watch that killed Hitler and like, I believe it, it's like, alright. Yeah.
1: <laughs> That's just history. That's not even the movie. <laughs> <laughs> but so getting back to Hannibal Rising, I think the reason it's so effective is because you start off, it's the whole like first half hour of it is him as a little, little kid with his little sister Misha and his mother and his father and it's World War II. Castle's getting bombed. They're going to a little town. Uh, And then it introduces the Nazis that end up like showing up after Hannibal's parents are killed, unfortunately, by the horrors of war. Uh, They show up to the little like cottage that Misha and Hannibal are in. And you kind of, you do feel like empathetic. You're like, oh man, like, you know, you feel bad for him. So then when he starts going and kind of tracking these guys down, you know, that, like, that's the reason he goes to Europe, you're like, okay, you know, I can kind of, I can understand that for these initial murders, but then he goes and he kills the the guy that uh, was rude to his aunt, and you're kind of like, that was kind of inappropriate, Hannibal, but I guess I get it, and then he brutally murders, like, one by one the guys that, that are the reason uh, he also uh, started partaking in cannibalism, and then you realize that this kid And maybe it was the atrocities of war that made him that way, but it seems like this kid would have been fucked up one way or the other. Something probably would have sparked this in him, because you're not that kind of evil just because of what happened. Uh, And and clearly, like, he's so aware of that... That he's able to put on that, oh, I'm a soft victim of circumstance. Oh, you know, that you can see how he gets from there to, say, Mads' interpretation or Hopkins' interpretation. Because it starts off this kid who knows how to kind of use that emotion and then knows how to mimic that human emotion.
0: And not only that, but like there comes a point in time where like it doesn't, it's they're not a useful tool anymore. Yeah. Um, when he becomes old enough or or in in uh, Hopkins's case, when everyone becomes aware of it, it doesn't really matter anymore. It's like we, everyone is aware I'm a monster. I can't like me putting on puppy eyes and like pretending I'm a victim of circumstance is just like it It serves no purpose. Exactly. Um, this identity or their facade yeah. is just useless now.
1: Because even uh, in the context of the TV show, Hannibal does get to that point as well where he can't manipulate anybody in quite the ways he used to anymore. But he can still get inside Will's head. And that's all that he needs at that point. Like how Hannibal, he knows he can't manipulate, Anthony Hopkins Hannibal can't manipulate, say, Chilton or any of the aides, you know, but he can manipulate Clarice because she's new and she's fresh and she wants to have hope that he's willing to do the right thing. And that hope is what he can manipulate.
0: Again, it's it's taking advantage of those small things. Like it's not even necessarily sensing a weakness, but just like an opening or anything where you can go into like, because he can... To a certain extent, get those people, even if they don't trust him or believe in him or or have something against him or an axe to grind, they're still susceptible to him moving them to a certain position. Maybe he can't get them to do what he wants, but he can get them out of the way or in front of something else or you know, in a place where he can get – where he has the most advantages, even if it's not – Even if he doesn't have the advantage, he's a place where you can grasp it. Exactly.
1: And he's the kind of person, he's the kind of character who can make grasp anything and take that as his entry.
0: um, We we touched on this character a little bit, uh, but I do actually want to talk a little bit about Dexter. Okay. uh, Because Dexter did come out before Hannibal. Like, correct me if I'm wrong on this, right? Uh, Before the TV show, Yes. I actually, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, um, no. yeah obviously, yeah. like obviously, Hannibal Lecter oh, yeah. was a character since the book, which was the '80s, which were yeah. way before the movies, and the movies were even like a forever ago before the TV show. Yeah. But um, I mean, I, like, I want to make it clear. I'm not trying to state <laughs> that, like, for whatever reason, Hannibal is like trying to rip off Dexter. Mm. It's not. Um, I think that at some point they saw Dexter and were like, "Oh, f yeah. we could do that," and they did. And they, um, it was a very different
1: show because yeah, Dexter was like in that prime space between when uh, the Hannibal crave was kind of dying down. Uh, like, I think Dexter is what definitely what paved the way for the NBC Hannibal show to be a thing. I don't yeah. think we would have been lucky enough to have it in the way we got it were it not for Dexter.
0: No. But I think it's a it's a very interesting, if not like it falls into a few of the trappings that I do want to talk about. Cause Dexter definitely is trying very hard to be the like good guy serial killer as hard as it possibly can. Like I don't necessarily know if it succeeds and from and from what I've seen of it, it doesn't seem to try to paint him too much in the right, but it is doing its best to because he you know, like, he is the protagonist. He's everything that's happening here. This isn't like with Hannibal or any of the the movies having to do with uh, the Lecter character. Dexter absolutely is about this one singular character, and he kills, you know, he's a serial killer who kills other serial killers. That's, that's his whole shtick. Okay. He's raised that way because his father, pretty much from when he was an, at a very early age, could tell, like, okay, something's wrong with, this, with my kid. I still love him, so I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to teach him... How to deal with his desires or his wants, and how to fake these emotions, or why they're important to continue mm. doing these things, and like why social niceties are so important. So it's, it, all of these dominoes had to, had to fall in exactly the right way. And that is what happens with this guy. Like, he, at no point, except for very few exceptions, does he ever like murder somebody that didn't deserve a murdering? Okay. I feel like it's still very much trying to fit this type of. Uh, awesome, really cool, oh, check out how great it is to be a sociopath yeah. <laughs> kind of uh, <laughs> um, of media. Um, and, I, like, they really had to write themselves that opening as hard as they could to, like, because only in this perfect situation with, like, a parent who was an, a genius uh, yeah. psychiatrist um, able to put into this exact situation where it was like, hey, you're going to need to kill people you kill people you should kill off but even then when you get down to it the problem is the dexter character like sort of vaguely cares about justice in as much as it's become his excuse or his reason or it's like it's sort of a safety blanket and as yeah. much as justice lets me kill people but he's still like He's still killing people because he yeah. wants to murder them. Like, he's like that's still an urge. It's still a desire the character has. The
1: best way to describe it is that Brooklyn Nine-Nine quote, cool motive, still murder. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. And it's yep. murder I could, I, if, if there is murder that has to take place, I can support that murder. Like, if you have to support a type of murder, I'm definitely Team Dexter over, like, Hannibal but yeah. <laughs> that doesn't mean it's yeah. okay.
0: Yeah. To Hannibal to an extent seems to be concerned about the people in his life in as much as he views them as aspects or part of himself. And Dexter at least seems concerned about the people in his life yeah. and willingness to protect them and keep them safe, but in as much as they're extensions of himself. Yeah. Um, and he also doesn't seem to fall into wanting to manipulate or like, I mean, he does obviously, but it's not in the same fashion. Like people come in and out of his life and he like, he's, tries his best in whatever way he can to move them back uh but it's not the same thing as in like i'm destroying everything around you so that you'll stay with me and love me it's more or less like well maybe if i maybe if i get don't do this or i do this thing that will get them back and involved in this case and then then they'll have to spend time with me um which is not as bad, but it's still kind yeah. of bad. But that's
1: still bad, but that definitely... I think if you were to make an argument to like try to... I feel like Dexter would be the perfect argument for, well, I mean, Hannibal's really bad. Dexter's nothing compared to that. And you shouldn't make that argument, but... No, yeah. Hearing them side by side... No, yeah. you shouldn't have to make If, that if one of them were better deserving of the good guy award... It would be Dexter.
0: <laughs> I, uh, he's a I better mean, guy. All right. He's he's yes. the good guy of his story. But even he, to an extent, doesn't view himself in the same way many real-life serial killers yeah. would view themselves the hero of their stories. Even the serial killer whose whole job is to kill other serial killers still has this – like doesn't really view himself as the good guy in his story and doesn't necessarily seem to care – um, going back to the whole thing that why we as an audience seem to attach ourselves to these characters or are impressed by them um, is this idea maybe possibly that we'll, we'll never be able to impress them or there's never – they'll never view us in a way that isn't like yeah. cutting through the bullshit for lack of a better term. So they become so much more appealing or so much more enticing or we want to know someone in our lives who's like – who we believe or we think is just going to tell us the the straight and honest truth and like point out what's wrong with us or where we need to go and what we need to do in order to feel better and we'll, we'll – oh, we'll, we'll be able to understand ourselves through you. But in reality, exactly. they're going to lie to you just as much. They'll tell you whatever you need to hear. Uh, but it feels so good to have like that convincing or that like that unfeeling sort of thing in your life that's just like, oh, yeah. Well, they're never going to lie to me. They can't lie, really. Yeah, uh, and I think I can I can pinpoint probably the
1: exact moment that the uh, the fanables, as I call themselves. <laughs> uh, probably were the most like, oh God, I wish that were me. Oh God, I could change Hannibal like that. Yeah. Is at one point at the end of season two, Hannibal is having a very intimate, and again, it's another scene that I love watching with people because both my best friend and my girlfriend were like, wait, are they going to kiss? Are they going to kiss? Because it's it's such a tender like setup, like it would be. And it is the equivalent of, you know, for, for Hannibal. Uh, but... <laughs> Which, I mean, I'll, I'll leave that for you uh, to find out when you get around to it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he says, like, they're kind of having this moment, and Hannibal just goes, I let you know me. Like, I let you know me. I don't let anybody know me like that, you know? And I feel like that's, that's the thing that people that kind of idolize in the sense of, like, wanting a romantic something with... Uh, I feel like that's probably the kind of thing that they're hoping for, that they could be the one that changes, you know, this murderer, that gets them to change their ways. When it's, unfortunately, you're not... You, Will Graham uh, is, like, one in a million, if even that high, you know? Yeah. That's not... um, Especially in a real-world scenario, a serial killer isn't going to be like that. There is no chance you can't bank on the chance that you were the one that's changing them.
0: Yeah. Because as we've talked about before in real life and in many um, works, of like kind of for lack of a term, historical fiction, um, real serial killers are not, are not about that. And we, we, we went on a length about it, but yeah. we, we can we can touch on this again about how they're not the guy that's that's this unfeeling or um, a dead sexy madman. It it sometimes comes down to them being genuinely ill people or just uncaring people who are seeking these or are seeking attention or cannot avoid the compulsion that they're dealing with. It's it's a lot of things and like there's there's never going to become a moment when you as uh, as as a person will change these facts. It's just not something that that's within the realm of reality and even in the works of fiction we're talking about these made-up serial killers they're again forces more forces of nature than they are actual people um there's nothing that you're going to be able to get out of them or get from them it's just gonna be a lot of emptying your own emotions into these things that are you know never going to get back and hey you know what's advantageous about that is that Hey, we have parasocial relationships already, where you're not going to get things out of it. So you having a paraso- parasocial relationship with Hannibal is no different from having one with, like, <laughs> I don't know, uh, David Schwimmer's character in Friends. Uh, like, it's it's the same difference. <laughs> what an interesting
1: choice of a sociopath to wrap it up on. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Hey, Friends was the real monster. <laughs> no, no, no. uh, Ross from Friends yeah, was the real Ross monster.
1: Friends was the truest <laughs> monster.
0: He makes Hannibal Lecter
1: look like a, a real good guy.
0: <laughs> yeah, like Hannibal Lecter was Santa Claus compared to Ross. <laughs> Don't even get me
1: started on Xander from Buffy. Right. Ross is still but- worse. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah. Uh, Uh, But anyway, thank you all for joining us today as uh, we take this deep dive into uh, true monsters of fiction. Thank you so much, uh, Kit, for coming on the show once again. Thanks for having me, Al. Thanks,
1: everybody, for listening. Listen to more Non-Pro. They do great work over here.
0: Yeah. Yeah, if you can, go ahead, uh, like us at the fan fan club or subscribe to us in the podcatcher of your choice. Uh, Go to non-productive.com or uh, go to the Non-Pro Fan Club on Facebook.